0: It was the end of the road. So many people who had been following, watching, waiting, and hoping had gone home in sadness and disappointment. All that time, all that effort, wasted, or so it seemed. But then, something completely unexpected happened. What seemed like certain defeat gave way to victory. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. Super Bowl 51. (laughs) The Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots. The Falcons had been dominating the entire game. By the middle of the third quarter, the Patriots were down by 25 points. No team in Super Bowl history had ever come back from that kind of a deficit. Now, I'm no Patriots fan, but I went to bed that night in the third quarter, fully expecting to wake up and learn that the Falcons were the Super Bowl champions. Imagine my surprise and the Patriots fans' joy to learn otherwise. You see, we all love a good comeback story don't we? Especially when that comeback is by an underdog. If the Patriots had been the underdogs, or if anybody actually liked them, uh, (laughs) that Super Bowl would go down in history. Because they were favored to win, because they're not America's favorite team, uh, it, it wasn't as celebrated. But in terms of points alone, it was the greatest Super Bowl comeback in history. So this week, as I've been thinking about comebacks, I've been asking myself, what is it that makes comeback stories so powerful? And I think I've narrowed it down. I think the thing that makes comeback stories so appealing and so powerful for us is, the, is that before the comeback, we experience genuine feelings of loss. We feel genuine sadness. We feel genuine disappointment. We, we have that sinking feeling in the pit of our stomach, like our player or our team Or our hero isn't going to make it. That's exactly how the followers of Jesus felt the day that he was crucified. In this church, we've spent nearly a year studying the life and ministry of Jesus, as it's told to us in the Gospel of Luke. And my hope is that over the course of this past year, you've grown a little bit closer to Jesus. Now I want you to take a step back about 2,000 years. I want you to imagine being one of Jesus' original followers. Having left behind everything, your family, your career, to follow this man who had called you to be his disciple. Imagine spending anywhere between one and three years following him as he toured the Judean countryside and cities. As he taught, as he ministered, as he healed people and cast out demons. As you sailed with him on ships, as he calmed storms and walked along the water. Imagine sitting with Him in intimate settings as He explains to you what the kingdom of God is really like. Imagine with each passing day the hope inside of you welling up and growing, thinking just maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for. Just maybe this is is the promised Messiah, the one who is going to liberate God's people. Every passing day you're feeling just a little bit more excited. Maybe this is the one. And then imagine the fear, the disappointment, and the sorrow as you're sharing one last meal with Him as He's betrayed. Betrayed and arrested, and handed over to the Roman governor as he's tortured and led up a hill to be crucified. And as he's crucified, your hopes are nailed to the cross along with him. I think it's difficult for those of us living in the 21st century to really grasp the depth of disappointment that his followers would have felt at this point. Messiahs don't get crucified. For them, this would have felt like the end of the road. It would have felt like certain defeat. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I want you to try to imagine that feeling of loss as I read to you from Luke chapter 23 and 24. Just try to put yourself in their place and really feel what they would have felt. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the morning, three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. For the followers of Jesus, it was the end of the road. Many of those who had Followed, watching, waiting, and hoping, had gone home in sadness and disappointment. According to John, many of them had locked themselves in a room they were in hiding for fear that they would be next. All that time, all that energy, just wasted. Several of the women snuck out early in the morning on Sunday morning to make sure that Jesus got a proper burial. But when they got to the tomb, something was a little off. We'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, verse 2. I'll put the text on the screen, or you can turn there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 24, verse 2. Here's how Luke tells it. When the women got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke tells us how they reacted. While they were wondering about this... A better translation for the word wondering would be perplexed. While they were perplexed about this... You see, when they showed up to the tomb and the body wasn't there, they were perplexed. Why were they perplexed? Well, as, as Andy Stanley has stated it so eloquently... Because nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected no body. They showed up at the tomb expecting to find the body of Jesus. They had brought spices and perfumes and ointments to give Jesus a proper burial. And when they showed up, they were expecting to find a body. When they didn't find it, they were perplexed because nobody expected no body. Most of us, we read the story, we're so familiar with it, we know what happens later on that we, we sometimes miss the confusion that would have been present for these women as they show up in the tomb and there's no body. They were expecting to find a body. They were expecting to find Jesus. The story goes on. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day? And be crucified and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. Jesus had told them before that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be resurrected, but they just didn't get it. And before we're too too hard on them before we give them too hard of a time for not remembering, we have to remember that nobody was expecting a crucified and resurrected Messiah. Nobody was expecting a crucified and resurrected Messiah. It was the farthest thing from anyone's mind, so they needed a little heavenly reminder here. Luke continues the story. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, perhaps you know this, perhaps you don't, but in first century culture, women were not regarded as credible witnesses. They were... Far more misogynistic in that time than we are today. And because women weren't regarded as credible witnesses, they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. This is the reason why many historians actually believe that what we have recorded here in the Gospels is a true story. You see, if you were going to make up a story about an empty tomb and a resurrection, if you were going to make that up, you wouldn't make women the first witnesses. Nobody would believe that. So because of that, we actually have good reason to believe that, the, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of whom tell us that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection, we actually can believe that that's a true story because it's not something that they would have made up in that particular time. The story goes on. Uh, this is a little bit later in the afternoon. Jesus shows up. He makes a guest appearance. He shows up, while they were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said, boo. No, he actually said, peace be with you. But based on their reaction, you would have think that he said boo. Here's how they reacted. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. Right? If You, you need to read the Bible more. It's actually kind of funny. Right? Jesus shows up in the middle of them, and they're startled, thinking they have seen a ghost. This is their reaction. So Jesus tries to prove to them that he's not a ghost, that they're not hallucinating, but that he's actually there physically in their midst. So he, this is what he says. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not... Believe it because of joy and amazement. He asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. In other words, Jesus is saying, Guys, guys, it's really me. I'm really back. You're not seeing things. You're not hallucinating. This isn't my ghost. I'm really physically here present with you. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. He let them touch his body. Ghosts can't pick up fish and eat it. He's proving to them that he's really there physically. And then he goes on, as he always does, to teach them a lesson. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now, once again, we can't be too hard on them because no one was expecting a crucified and resurrected Messiah. They just didn't get it. They had been through shock and trauma. So we can take it a little easy on them for not remembering. So, defeat had seemed imminent. They had watched their leader be crucified. They had watched him be buried. And now, all of a sudden, he's back from the dead and standing in their midst. Which leads us to probably the most important question, which is this. What was the significance of the resurrection? What was the significance of the resurrection? You guys ask the most thoughtful questions. Let me answer that for you. We're going to have to take a step back. Last week, we talked about the crucifixion and the significance of the crucifixion. And I told you that if we're going to understand the crucifixion in all of its fullness, we need to understand it in its historical context. We talked about the the fact that the reason that Jesus was crucified to begin with was because his message and his mission came in conflict with the power structures of the world. Basically, the crucifixion was the world's no to Jesus' way of life. They they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, we want nothing to do with your message of nonviolent love. We want nothing to do with your message of acceptance and forgiveness and self-sacrificial service. You're turning our world upside down, and we think you need to die for it. Jesus went to the cross because his message and his mission came in conflict with the power structures of the world. That's why he was crucified from a historical perspective. The crucifixion was the world's no to Jesus' way. The great theologian and pastor from Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has this to say. He says, if the cross were the last word about Jesus, then the world would be without hope and lost in death and damnation. The world would have won the victory over God. And that's exactly what it looked like on the day that Jesus was crucified. It looked like the world had won. It looked like it was game over for Jesus and his followers and his mission. Defeat looked certain. But it wasn't. You see, three days later, in the greatest comeback of all time, Jesus came back from the dead. He was raised physically. So what was the significance of the crucifixion? The crucifixion was God's yes. Whereas the the crucifixion was the world's no. The resurrection was God's yes to Jesus. The resurrection was God's vindication of his son. When you're vindicated, you're declared to be in the right. God, through the resurrection, was saying that Jesus was right and the world was wrong. The Resurrection was God's stamp of approval on Jesus' message, His ministry and His mission. You see, in light of the resurrection, the crucifixion was not defeat. it was just a temporary setback. As a matter of fact, as we saw last week, the resurrection was actually a, the crucifixion was actually a secret play in which God defeated the powers of death and darkness and sin. And the resurrection was proof that Jesus' mission was going to continue. The mission that Jesus began was going to continue. And as we're going to see next week, it was going to continue in a way that nobody expected, in a brand new way. So don't miss next week as we begin a brand new mini-series on mission as we look at the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for those of us who claim to follow Jesus today. I'm going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to invite Rebecca and Mandy up. They're going to sing us a closing song. After I pray, while they sing, if you'd like to come up to the altar to receive prayer, Jenny and I will be up here. You can come up and have prayer requests. Once the song is done, you may be dismissed. Heavenly Father, We love a good comeback story. Father, as we study the life of Jesus, help us not to miss that period of darkness when all seemed lost. Help us not to miss the fact that it looked like defeat was imminent. But God, even in the darkness, even when it seemed like all was lost, you were at work. Father, may we trust that even now, when things seem dark, when things seem like you're not present, when things seem like all is lost, we know that you are at work. And we know that you have promised to send Jesus back again. So Father, we thank you for this comeback. We thank you for your promise that he will come back again. We ask you to help us live into that mission here and now. Pray for these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.